Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you, thank you very much. We are down all of our sound tech expert geniuses tonight, so thank you guys for rocking acoustic and uh, leading us in worship. Uh, so, good evening, guys. Welcome to SALT. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. If you guys haven't met me yet or I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Jared, and my wife Abigail is here with me up here in the pink jumpsuit. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to say hi and welcome you guys as we go through, and I get to the pleasure of continuing our mini-series, our six-week series on spiritual disciplines. And I just want to get right into it. I want to start by talking a little bit about why we're doing this series, why spiritual disciplines, because uh, we've handpicked a few topics. There's many more we could have chosen from, right? But we've handpicked a few because we believe they're very important to the faith of every believer, every Christian. And not only are they just topics for us to think about or discuss, but everything we picked, we believe, are, is a practice, is a habit, is something that all believers ought to implement in our lives uh, as a discipline, as a habit, as a practice, out of obedience to God. We believe these are essential to our faith. And so I want to be clear as we get into it and as we continue with spiritual disciplines, I believe three weeks ago, Christian talked about the discipline of meditation, what it means to focus on God's word. Two weeks ago, Jeff, on the discipline of prayer and how we are ought to and what examples we have for how we can pray to God and approach him. And then tonight we're going to talk about service, right? But what I want it to be clear is that if you get to the end of the series or the end of what I'm going to teach tonight or what you heard a few weeks ago and you think, hmm, Christian, he really wants me to meditate. Got it. Or Jeff thinks I should pray more. Or Jared told me to sign up and serve somewhere. Like if that's what you guys get out of this, then we have failed you miserably. Because when we talk about spiritual disciplines, these aren't our ideas that we think you need. These are God's idea. He's come from God's word. They are, that's our foundation. And that's what we want to teach you guys through this series, as well as how they can play out in your lives and why they're important to your life specifically. And I want to define a spiritual discipline really simply as anything, any practice or habit that aids us in becoming more like Jesus. And I want to be clear again, when I say becoming more like Jesus, I mean becoming like him as God's word defines him. Okay, I want to avoid thinking that our experiences or opinions or thoughts about how we feel like Jesus should be is what we need to become like. No, what the Bible says Jesus is like, that is what we aspire to. That is what we want to be like and what we're going to teach from. And I do remember recently as we went through our series in Job from like, was that May through the end of the summer or the end of September even, we talked a little bit about the idea of punishment and discipline and like, what does it mean that the Lord disciplines those he loves? He disciplines his children. But when in this series that we talk about discipline, I just want you to know out the gate, like this is not, that's not the type of discipline that we're talking about now. When we talk about discipline now, what comes to my mind, like in general, thinking of discipline is <laughs> funny enough what something I've heard my grandpa say almost all my life, good old grandpa Bill, Love him to death, and I remember even as a kid to even like if I get to be around him now, I still will hear him squeeze this, sneak this into the conversation. He would always say, if you want to live like no one else, Jarrett, 
Sometimes he calls me Jarrett. It's just, he's old. I, I let it pass. Jarrett, if you want to live like no one else, you have to live like no one else. And I guess as a kid, that made no sense to me. But as time's gone on, I realized, like, and as he explains it, he always, he cares a lot about business. He's a very successful, hard worker. And he was always laying this out, like, if I want to succeed, Jared, if you want to succeed at achieving your goals, if you want to be successful, if you want to rise above the rest, if you want to be where no one else is one day, well, you have to sacrifice like no one else. You have to have self-control like no one else. You have to be patient like no one else. You have to do what you sometimes don't want to do today in order to become what you truly want to become tomorrow or in five years or in 50 years. You need to have discipline in order to reach your destination, whatever that may be. And you need a destination in order for your discipline to actually take you anywhere. Right? Our, our old pastor, Nate, here at Cascade, used to always say that discipline, he did a whole series on this, actually. Discipline without direction is drudgery. Right? It's meaningless. It's miserable. It does not produce what we want it to. If you're disciplining yourself for no reason, with no direction, you need to start with knowing who you're trying to become before just applying discipline to it. Right? If you want to summit the highest mountain, the highest peak, and by the way, total shout out to our friends in Nepal right now, Jordan, Evie, Nathan. Uh, we just got the text like as I was driving here that they're in Nepal, they're safe. And so please keep them in your prayers as they evangelize. And they're literally going to the base camp of Mount Everest uh, over the next couple, like next 10 days or something like that. Uh, so please continue to pray for them, for the people they would meet and for God's provision along the journey. But sorry, side note, pray for them. But again, if you, if you want to summit the highest mountain, you have to hike, you have to train, you have to discipline your body, even and especially when you don't feel like doing that. Right? If you want to become a heart surgeon one day, you have to study and practice. Or a lawyer. we got a future lawyer in the back. The future president of the United States in the back, Zach. <laughs> he wants to be a lawyer, right? You've got to study and practice and study and practice. Rinse and repeat again and again harder than anyone else around you. And thankfully so. I don't, I don't want the lawyer who got his certification online in 30 minutes or definitely not a heart surgeon who did 30 minutes of quizzes before he cuts me open. And at the same time, if you're studying the anatomy of a human heart or running 50 flights of stairs to train your body, but you have no purpose, you have no goal, you have nothing to do, you have no reason for doing it, then what's the point? Right? Like, where is that actually going to take you? And are you actually really going to stick with it? Are you going to keep running 50 flights of stairs every day? Oh, well, I'm just doing this for, uh, I actually don't know why I'm doing this. So I should stop and go get McDonald's, right? That's what you're going to do. You have no purpose and no reason for doing it. And so our goal throughout the series is, the real question is, like, who do you guys want to become? That's what we want to be at the front of your mind. Where is your discipline taking you? Because when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, these are the practices that take Christians specifically, that take us who proclaim that Jesus is our master. They are what bring us from who we are now to becoming more like Jesus, closer to our ultimate goal, the highest standard that God has set for us, to prioritize, to think, to act, and to become really like Jesus was. And so I hope that as we lean into tonight and the rest of the series, that that is your goal. That that's why you're here, that Jesus is your destination, and that 
these spiritual disciplines will help take you there along the way. And so we can get a little more specific. Tonight I'm teaching about the spiritual discipline of service. Uh, service is one of our pillars here at SALT. I want to keep this really simple tonight. It's one of our pillars, uh, one of the four things that we always try to embody when we gather together. Service, worship, discipleship, and community, right? And it should be obvious as you look week by week and see the people who volunteer their time, right? From our pastor, John, who leads us and guides us with wisdom and direction, from the teachers who volunteer their time, from the worship band, people greeting you as you walk in the door, setting up the chairs, Linda and Keegan, who set up and ran the slides tonight, and he did drums, Keegan, rock star. Uh, and I could go on, right? I could go on and on. The event planners and the ones sending you all the reminders and social media posts. Social media is kind of icky, but you guys are awesome for doing it, so I don't have to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so service is just laced in what we do. It's, it's who we are here at SALT, and, and it all starts with our volunteers. And I think that's what pops into our head when I mention service, right? You think, oh, I know, like community service. I get that. Or, okay, serving people in my church, serving people in my family, or there's unreached people all around the world who need to be, who we can serve practically and spiritually. They have needs in both areas. Makes sense, but any way we slice it, I think when we think of service, it's an action word, it's a verb, right? It describes what we're doing to serve God or to serve each other or to serve a, a certain purpose in our lives. In James chapter 1, verse 22, really briefly it says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? This is true. It is totally an action word. Okay? I want to be clear about that. There's no such thing as the, the modern-day consumer Christian who comes, sits, receives what the church is teaching that day, and then walks away and leaves and in one year out the other. Right? I want to be clear that it's absolutely true that serving requires doing, not to just hear and to consume. But that all being said, tonight I want to focus us and take you guys a different direction. Because I think that's the easy part of hearing about service. You know, okay, yeah, community service, serve my neighbor, I get it. I can do a lot of different things to serve. Or maybe he's going to tell me some things I can do. But <clears throat> my goal and what I believe God's word reveals to us is that service is about much, much more than what we do. And what I want to argue tonight is that the heart of service is about who you are. Okay, not what you do. That starts with your actual worldview. That starts with your, the way that you view your neighbor, the way that you view your coworker, your brother, your worst enemy. How do you actually view these people? What is the heart of the matter and what are your motivations for doing what you do? That is what really matters. And I want to start by looking at what Jesus actually taught his disciples, right? Seeing the imperative for us, like why are we, if we are Christians, if you're here in the room and you're like, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, why, do we, why should we even care about service? Or why are we talking about it? Why did we choose it as a, as a discipline for this series? So if you have a Bible and you can turn with me, open up to Mark chapter 10. And I'll be reading verses 42 through 45. Short, short little snippet. So here, Jesus' disciples, 12 disciples, you have James and John have asked Jesus for a 
basically a, they asked to be seated at Jesus' right and left hands in glory forever. And Jesus, in responding to them, the other ten, they overhear their request. And they're kind of mad. They're like, uh, there's only one left and one right. They're going to get the special seats next to Jesus for eternity, and we're going to miss out. So the disciples are mad at James and John. And, and what we're reading here is Jesus' response. So Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? And there's not a ton to unpack here. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward, right? We see Jesus' command to his disciples compels his followers. I believe from that moment to those disciples, even to right now, if we call ourselves his disciples, he compels them to be servants, to strive for ways to serve other people and to make service an essential part of their lives. To be servants, not just to be people who do servicey things. And even more importantly, we see why Jesus commands it. Because Jesus himself, right? God himself, wrapped in flesh, came down to earth. He came not to be served as the king or anointed with a crown and made the general of the armies of Israel to bring them back to power that many of the Israelites expected and hoped for him to do. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. To commit himself in service towards the very ones who despise and reject him. And he calls his disciples to be a servant like that. And so it's because that's who Jesus is. That's why it matters to us. And if Jesus is our destination, then our goal is to become like him. Right? Every true and authentic Christ follower wants to be like their master, wants to be obedient, wants their master to be proud of them. What we, see, what we saw in those verses is Jesus telling his disciples to flip their focus, flipping it upside down and going, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, stop fixating on how to be great in the kingdom of God. Right? It's easy. He's encouraging them that they need to focus not on ways to exalt themselves, but on how they can serve each other, how they can serve their neighbors, how they can serve those in need around them and be sensitive to that. It's important to note here, too, that what Jesus is teaching here, there's nothing in it that indicates that his disciples are somehow punching their ticket to heaven by doing good deeds. Like, okay, here's your quota. You've got to do this many acts of service a week. Right? There, there's no quota here. There's no performance-based salvation or reward for them in this passage. There's, there's not even really a specific act Jesus is telling them to do in service. He's telling them who to become and like their nature as a humble servant, what that is, what the standard is. To become selfless, to become servant-hearted, to be sacrificial, to see people in the world as God does instead of through their own sin-stained glasses or their own viewpoint, their own feelings, their own needs and wants. And what this does, what it does is it calls them into an intimate relationship with God not a transactional relationship where they're 
doing these service things and they're keeping God happy, right? They're making their sacrifices by doing these nice things for other people. And that's what really means something good for them in the end, right? That's not the kind of service Jesus is calling them to. Verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve. We see a glimpse of his character, of who Jesus is. And because he has paid our debt, we are now free to join in the right relationship with God and become like him, taking on the very nature of a servant like he did. I hope you can see just how glorious a gift that that is. And so from that passage in Mark, I want to just underline what I'm sharing with you guys tonight with two, two, two more verses. Bear with me. It's really short. I want to keep it simple tonight. I want to show you guys two short verses that will just underline, I think, what I'm, what I'm sharing. Uh, so please turn with me to the, the book, The Letter of Philippians, in chapter 2. And as you're flipping there, I just want to be set it up by saying that, like, these are just two verses. So this is like zooming in, zooming in again. The letter of Philippians, uh, this is not by any means just the main point of what Paul's saying. The Philippians, not the main point of the whole letter. But I do believe there's value for us and inherent in the truth of what he's saying in just these two verses uh, means a lot to what we can learn from regarding service. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, I'm going to read it. Paul, Paul writes to the Philippian church, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Those, those two verses, you get through it fast. They mean a lot to me personally. Uh, my wife Abigail and I, we spent uh, a couple of months this, earlier this year going through biblical marriage counseling, and quite, quite often, <laughs> our homework, our life work, was to memorize these verses, these two, to repeat these two verses together, to write them on the mirror, to have no cards, to have reminders on our phones, to even repeat them when we're together and we have our weekly meetings. We did this over and over and over again. <laughs> and throughout that time, no matter how many times I hear it, I just kind of fall flat on my face every time. <laughs> we're done with counseling and still we have to meditate on this verse. Still we have to repeat this verse to each other when we have our meetings. And I know, before you shake your head at me, I don't always remember to do it. So I know that. Uh, but nothing makes me just stop, reflect, and realize, oops, I did it again. I am selfish. I'm a loser, right? Nothing makes me realize that more than these two verses. Like, it just challenges how I view, how I treat my wife, my precious, my beautiful wife, and who I will forget that her needs are as important as my own, often. And every conflict, every decision, every thing that I don't feel like doing, like, it always comes down to whether or not I truly believe that her side, her perspective, her opinions, her heartache, her dreams, like, are they as valid as mine, right? It really comes down to that. And when I lash out or she lashes out, like, when there's issues, it's usually because we've forgotten that core truth. So we're still a work in progress. Um, but that is why those two verses are still such an important part of our lives, because we need to remind ourselves. We need to meditate upon this truth. And, and even more so, if I may be so bold, I think as we've been doing that, 
marriage has been getting even better as we do it, right? Okay, I did not run that by her before saying that. So that was a little risky, but thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, so all that being said, here's the thing. I could have picked from plenty of different passages or messages to show like, this is what service looks like. These are some practical ways you can serve your neighbor or your whoever. But I didn't because I don't, I don't think it's the most valuable thing to show you what to do and how to do it. This is service. I think what I want to teach is the foundation, the motivation for true Christ-like service. So rather than what it might sound like you could expect on a night like tonight, oh, we're talking about service, so here's a list of things we can do, right? Uh, I want you to really hear me echoing Paul's first two words when he says, do nothing. The first two words, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing. Not do something. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's just those two short verses, but the heart of what Paul is saying is, really, if you're, if you're motivated by pride or selfish desire, like, don't do it. Whatever it is, don't do it. It doesn't matter how nice it is to someone else or how good it makes you look or how objectively good that thing may be. Like, that's not what ultimately matters. And rather, he encourages the Philippians in that verse not to do something else, to replace one do with another do. <laughs> he encourages them to consider, to count, to believe that others are more significant than themselves, to actually believe that their needs are as important as their own. Really, what I want you guys to see from that is that before you do anything that would qualify as a Christian act of service, you need to become someone who sees people like Jesus does, and someone who believes their needs are equally as valid as your own. Otherwise, these good acts of service, they're not sanctifying you or making you more like Christ. They're not pleasing God because he knows your true heart and motivation for doing all things. But if you can, and you do, start from the right foundation that God's word teaches. And you understand what's most important about service. Whatever it is that you end up doing, whatever it is, it will be serving your neighbor and serving God because it's done from genuine humility and genuine love. And by the way, when I say humility, right, I would define humility as thinking of yourself less, thinking of others more, but not thinking less of yourself, okay? So I want to be clear. Don't hate yourself. Don't starve yourself. Don't kick yourself when you're down. It doesn't bring glory to God. That's not serving your neighbor. But humility is just thinking of yourself less, thinking of how you can be a servant more, how you can show love instead of how you can receive or take love. So simply put, right, those two short verses and, and the heart of service that I want to share with you guys tonight is too, is that you're called to be a servant, right? Not called to do service or called to be a person who serves. You're called to be a servant. It's who you are and it's who Jesus was. And that means that obeying Jesus' commands, obeying or heeding Paul's advice to the Philippians, it means not just 
serving once a month or going to the soup kitchen to help out. It doesn't mean packing a shoebox once a year, although shout out next week, we are doing that. <laughs> but it, that's not what it means. That's not what service is. It's being a servant-hearted person every day, no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, right? Whether you're making breakfast or you're driving to work or, I don't know, your parents ask you to pick up your siblings from practice. Ugh, the worst thing they could ever ask of you. <laughs> or you've had the worst day ever and you're coming home and you know what? Your best friends had a bad day too and they need someone to listen to them. Like, in any circumstance, in any uh, situation you find yourself in, if you're a servant-hearted person, you will find ways to serve. And I believe that if you guys choose to see the world this way, to see other people this way, and to believe what Paul is saying in those two verses in Philippians, I believe that it will change you from the inside out. That it will make you a joyful and thankful person. That it will make you an empathetic and compassionate person. And I believe that Whatever you hear and whatever you believe, it will be reflected in what you do, and that what you do will produce the righteousness that God desires. It's this internal sanctification, growth, maturity, that is what I believe makes authentic Christian service unique and different from other forms of service or philosophies of why we should serve other people, right? Because honestly, from the outside, it all kind of looks the same, right? Any community from any religion or any club or any whatever could raise a bunch of money, could donate or go to Afghanistan and build a well to provide water to a poor village that can't afford it or get access to it on their own. And honestly, the people getting free water, are they really going to care if it came from Buddhists or Muslims or Christians or atheists? Like, no, they got free water. Awesome. Anyone can do the act of service. Anyone can have compassion and uh, a heart to feed and to clothe the homeless in our hometown. But what is it that makes Christianity unique? And I believe to answer that question, we have to look at the heart of the matter, right? Because the truth is, like, viewing, treating people the way that God's Word describes here, that we're looking at, it's not 100% of the time going to lead them to Christ. It's not going to flip their world upside down or change their lives and Sometimes, honestly, you might serve someone with the purest of heart, and you might, they might not even say thank you. You might not get what would really make, it, uh, really make your day if someone just said thank you, right? You might not always get that. But I will say that 100% of the time when you serve, genuinely believing that others are more consider, uh, you consider others more importantly than yourselves, that it is 100% of the time it's going to change you. It's going to produce righteousness and maturity in you. No matter what else comes of your service, it will always give glory to God and make you more like your master, make you more like Jesus, who both called you to and demonstrated for us all what that looks like. So know this, you guys. Uh, with Jesus as your model, follow. Becoming a person that believes and looks to the needs of others as much as their own. That's the foundation for a life lived as a joyful and a faithful servant. So as we like, again, I, that's pretty much it. I want to keep this simple. As we look to wrapping up, like it's, it's no secret, I know, it's no secret that we live in a very self-centered world. 
especially self-centered culture. It's all these me, me, me. You gotta take care of number one, right? Take care of number one, and then once that's taken care of, once that's stable, then you can help others. You should totally help others. Helping others is good. In our culture, in our world, it's also action-oriented. It's go, 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 go. Do, 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 do. What's next? What's next? Like, I'm wired that way growing up in America. And my encouragement to you guys in, in light of those things is to, to call them what they are, recognize your own weaknesses, and, and just to seek the standard that, that Christ sets for us. When it comes to service, I don't want you to overthink this discipline of service. Don't overthink it. Don't fixate or stress out about what you're going to do, right? About checking off the boxes, doing the good things, and therefore missing out on the heart of what it means to be a servant, the heart of what Jesus has called you to become. And at the same time, don't underthink it. Don't do that either. Don't ignore it. Don't go, yeah, that might work for those disciples. They might have served a lot, but I'm kind of broke. I have nothing to offer. <laughs> like, whatever it might be, don't ignore your calling to be a servant of Christ to the people in your life. You become a person who believes that, who considers the needs of others as equally valid as their own. And, and you guys, you're going to find ways to serve. Like, I could. I could stand up here and tell you things you could do. I could give you opportunities. But you don't need me to tell you what to do. If you just genuinely believe every person in your life, every friend, every member in your family, like, their needs... Spiritually, practically, their needs, their perspective, they are as important to my life as I am, right? Like, if, if you really can hold those uh, in balance with each other, like, you don't need me to tell you what to do, okay? So I don't think that would be the most valuable thing I could leave you with tonight. I think it benefits you more to focus on the heart, to focus on who you're becoming, and then what you do is going to flow out of that naturally. And that doesn't, and don't get me wrong. I, I want you to do stuff, right? Like I started with, with James when he says, don't just hear the word and do nothing with it. You are called to be doers of the word, not hearers also deceiving yourselves. So I want you guys to serve us all, right? I want you to, and we want to continue to give opportunities and ways for you to serve. We need volunteers to make this happen, right? This only happens because of all of you guys here. Uh, I want you to serve your communities and your families. I want you to travel across the globe and be witnesses for Christ and serve the world. Uh, but all those things aside, what I want most of all is for you to understand that none of those things really matter if your heart's not in the right place. And if your motivations aren't, are selfish or prideful. I want you to just believe other people are as important as yourself. That you are here to be a servant, to help them, to act that out. And I want you to know ultimately that who you become is far more important than what you do. I want you to go become like Jesus is. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we continue our teachings on spiritual disciplines, as uh, I even look back to the last two, if you guys want an opportunity to practice or, yeah, to practice these other disciplines that we've studied so far, like this, I would just say, is a great place to start, right? Uh, after Christian gives announcements tonight, tonight there's going to be a slide that goes up with just a brief summary of like, hey, these are the verses that Jared shared from tonight. 
if you haven't, if you missed them or didn't get to write them down or you don't take notes furiously, uh, there's going to be a slide that shares those passages with you and you can choose them and meditate on them, right? Christian talked about meditation. You can focus on these verses, recite these verses, try to memorize them. It's two, it's short, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And you can focus and think about what biblical service is and what it could look like for you in your heart. And likewise, with what Jeff taught a couple weeks ago, you can pray. Pray and ask God to gently to guide you and to turn you into a more servant-hearted person who's able to see people as God does. And so I want us to give, I want to give us the next 15 minutes or so to break out into small groups. We'll put our typical small group reflection questions up, talk about um, what we've looked at tonight. And I just want to end with one more encouragement before I set you guys free. In Galatians 5, chapter 13, Paul gives this encouragement that I want to share with you. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so I'm going to just say a quick prayer, and then you guys... Do your thing, have some time to chat and hang out, and then we'll come up and do a couple more worship songs. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, for all that you've provided to us, everything that we need for life and godliness, that you have called us and shown us what it means to really be a servant, that we don't have to worry about our actions, our good deeds to outweigh the sin in our lives, but that, God, you have forgiven us and set us free from the bondage to sin to serve you, to serve each other, to have joyful hearts, to be freed of that burden. God, I thank you so much. So I just pray that as we continue to study your word and study spiritual disciplines, that you would lead and guide us, that your spirit would help us to grow in maturity and to actually apply these disciplines to our lives, that we would be becoming more like you. In your name we pray. Amen.